On this day of new beginnings, our scripture comes to us from Genesis, the 12th chapter, the call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Moment of truth, right? In a few minutes, you'll know if you actually want me to stick around. Um, you know, when I think about my life and my call to ministry, the one thing that sticks out is that uh, God has a way of putting me in positions because he knows that I'm stubborn. And he puts me in positions where I either have to trust him or admit that I'm wrong. Um, and because I'm stubborn, right, I always have to do what he tells me to do. So, you know, I, I wasn't actually, uh, I, I never really wanted to be a pastor, right? That's what you want to hear me say on the first day, right? <laughs> uh, you know, because my dad's a Methodist pastor, and so I, I grew up in that environment, and I didn't, you know, when you're a preacher's kid, everyone asks you, so, you're going to go into the family business? And they all think it's the first time you've heard that joke. Um, <laughs> Over and over again, and so you know, as like a rebellious teenager, you always say, "No, I don't want to do that," right? Um, and you mean it. You don't want to do what your dad did. You want to be different. Um, so, in my first year of college here at a and Corpus Christi, uh, I, I began to feel that call uh, a lot more strongly than I ever had before. Uh, and so, it got to, to you know, toward, towards the end of the spring semester, and I was looking. I needed a summer job, worshiping at uh, First Methodist here in, here in town, and uh, I. I Finally, in, in a moment of prayer, I said, okay, God, I'm going to make a deal with you. And I'll let you know right now, you should never make deals with God because it does not go the way that you think it's going to go. But at the time, uh, you know, they, they hire summer youth interns every year. And the thing you need to know about that is that, one, they generally don't hire people who did not grow up in that church for that job. What they hire are the people who were in their youth group and are home for the summer from college, but grew up in that church. They know the traditions of that youth group. That's who they hire. They also only hire them for the summer. They don't hire them year-round. It's a summer-only thing. So I said to God, okay, God, I need a summer job. I think you're calling me in this direction, but I'm going to go. So I'm going to make a deal with you. If, if I get this job with their youth group, and if it goes well, and if they hire me for a full-time or a year-round position in the fall, because I know I'm going to need a job then, then I'll, I'll admit that you're calling me into ministry, right? It's a dumb deal in the first place, right? 
Because naturally what happened is I got the job and, and then it went really well and then they Minor leap of faith for me, right? All, all I really had to do was kind of acknowledge that, okay, sometime in the future, I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, I switched my major, you know, got started on, the, on that track. Then a couple years later, uh, as we were in Dallas, I was halfway through uh, getting my seminary degree. I was working at a little Presbyterian church out in Irving, a uh, suburb of Dallas. I did their youth ministry and their children's ministry. And, um, you know, things were going really well. So they did a thing every summer where, uh, you know, they did VBS, and then the youth group helped with VBS in the morning, and then in the afternoon, uh, the youth go and they do all kinds of fun activities, and that's like their reward for helping with the kids in the morning. Uh, so that year, the second year that I done it with them, was the most successful youth event they'd had in at least 10 years. I mean, they had huge numbers of kids for a church that size. It was awesome. We were all excited. I was looking ahead to the future. I was getting ready to, I had one more year left in that job before I went off and started my internship from, for a seminary that I had to do. So my plan was that we would spend the next year sort of uh, revamping the job that I was doing so that when I left, they could make it a full-time position. We really felt, or I really felt, like in a year's time, they would have the numbers and the money to bring someone in full-time. I was excited about I was ready to go, and the Monday after VBS, first thing in the morning, I have a meeting with the pastor, and I walk into her office, and, and she's there with, like, the Presbyterian equivalent of the SBRC chair, and they say, Forrest, we're letting you go. <laughs> you know, I told this story before. Y'all are the first ones to laugh at it, and I don't know if that's a good sign or not. Uh, <laughs> so when they got rid of the position completely, they just, you know, it was a complete 180 from what I thought we were doing. Uh, and they gave me a generous severance package, but you know, there I am in Dallas, which is an expensive place to live, no job. And so uh, I started you know, applying for things right away. And the first place I went was a church called Munger Place Church in East Dallas, uh, where I was worshiping while I was unemployed anyway. The reason I went there is I knew the pastor. I'd talked with him a few times. I liked him. I liked what the church was doing, and I wanted to do my internship there in a year's time. And so I, I sat down with him one day and I said, well, you know, I, I know... I was going to come and talk to you about doing an internship in a year, but, you know, if you just happen to have a job available, I mean, I, I would take that now. Uh, they didn't have anything available, but he said, you know, we, we may be able to do something for you, but, you know, it's going to take time. I said, well, okay, let me know. And in the meantime, I kept applying for jobs, and, and right as uh, the severance pay from my last job was about to run out, I got a job offer to do youth ministry at a church in Arlington. It would have started right away, would have paid far more than I had been making, Seemed like a good fit. And they, they called and offered me the job, and I said, well, let me pray about it, because that's what you have to do when you get offered a church job, right? <laughs> you can't just take it without saying you're going to pray about it, or that's a big red flag, right? So I, I'm going to go pray about it. Um, and I actually did pray about it. I went home, and I was praying about it, and I, I, I just got this strong sense that God was saying, don't take it. And I said, okay, that's great, God, but you know I need a job, right? Like I, and this one starts right away. I could use the money. Don't take the job. And so I called in the next day and turned it down. And as I was praying and praying about what I was going to do, because we were, you know, the money was about to run out, I got the overwhelming sense that God was telling me to stop applying for jobs altogether. Just wait. Okay, God, but you know I, I need money, right? Like, I, I, rent is due soon, and I have to be able to, you know, just wait. And so I waited for six months. 
and had to borrow money from parents to pay rent, which I didn't want to do. But we waited. And eventually things lined up, and I started a job at Munger Place. And it was exactly where we needed to be. And that, that time period of waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen and just trusting that God was going to work it out for us. I'm not going to lie, it was not fun. Uh, it, was, it was painful and it was difficult and it was nerve-wracking. But at the same time, we emerged from that period. My faith was stronger than ever. My marriage, I think, was stronger than ever. It was good for us in the end. And it put us right where we needed to be. And if we had followed our own plans, we never would have wound up where God wanted us to go. So two years later, I go before the Board of Ordained Ministry, and it's my, my interview used to be uh, commissioned as a provisional elder. It's the first like, real step in the process of becoming a pastor. And, and the plan, because I always have a plan, the plan was, you know, if it, if it went well and I got approved, right, uh, we would ask for the bishop to appoint me up across conference lines in the North Texas Conference. I was going to try and create an associate pastor spot right where I was, stay at the same church. Because at the time, my wife was uh, at SMU doing her master's degree. We didn't want to tear her away from that. We liked the church we were in. We liked our community. We were happy where we were. We didn't want to go anywhere. Uh, and, and it seemed like that was going to work out. So the interview goes well because, I mean, look at me, guys. I mean, I just, <laughs> I do well. The interview goes well. We, we, the board votes to approve me for, uh, for commissioning as an elder. And um, so I go back to Dallas, and I, I meet with my pastor soon after that. And we're supposed to sit there and, and talk about uh, how, what, what, what my job will be, how my role will change, what will help him do as an associate pastor. Uh, and, and we sit down at lunch, and the first thing he says is, you know, Forrest, I've been praying about this. And I, I think that what the Lord is telling me is it's time to throw you in the deep end. And I said, What? What does that mean? He said, well, I, I think the best thing for you right now and the thing that the Lord is leading you to is, is you need to be your own, your pastor of your own church. You need to go and be on your own. You need to be the lead pastor. You need to preach every week. You need to be the one running all the meetings and managing the staff and all of that. That's the next step you need to take. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I would like to disagree with that. I said, nope, we're not going to make the position. You're going to have to go. And that was... Listen, if I had been blindsided by losing my job two years earlier, this was worse. Because see, now I had to go home and tell my wife that she had to leave a school that she was very happy at, leave a master's program she loved. It might disrupt her entire career path, all of that. And it was not what I wanted to do. And so I went home and I, you know, we had that conversation, which was not fun. And then we called up. Uh, our superintendent down here, Robert Lopez, and I explained what was going on, what I needed. Look, I really... Honestly, I don't care where I end up, but we need to be within driving distance of a school where she can finish her degree. That's the only thing we need to worry about. And so we ended up in Port Lavaca, which we did not expect. No one expects Port Lavaca. <laughs> in fact, we had to look it up on a map to see where it was. But it was exactly where we were supposed to go. It was not where we wanted to go. It, it was full of uh, unexpected surprises, and there were a lot of difficulties along the way. But it really, and it required us to take a leap of faith because, see, what I could have done is I could have decided to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the ordination process. I'll find a different job. I'm going to stop because I want to make sure we're comfortable and happy where we are. And instead, we had to take a leap of faith. And it was terrifying. It was unpleasant. And there were a lot of things along the way we didn't want to do. But what we can see 
inside are all the blessings that God worked into our life along the way. We never wanted my wife to have to drive an hour and a half one way to go to school. But the result of that was that she would call her mother on the drive home. And so for a couple of years, two or three times a week, she would spend an hour and a half talking to her mom as she drove home. And her mother passed away in February. They would not have had that time together if we hadn't gone to a place where we didn't think we needed to be. Little things like that predict that you cannot possibly plan for or expect. That's what happens when you take a leap of faith and trust that God knows what he's doing. The most important words in this passage where God calls Abram are not the ones that God says. They're the ones he doesn't say. So listen to this again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, did you hear what, what's not in there? God does not tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him how long the trip is going to take. He doesn't tell him how he will know when he has arrived at the destination. He doesn't even tell him what direction to walk in when he leaves the city. All he says, essentially, is, Abram, pack up your things and go wander around the wilderness until I tell you to stop. I wouldn't do it, right? Would you? If you say, yes, I know you're lying. <laughs> what this tells us, by the way, is that this is not the first time that God and Abram have interacted. It's the first time they show up in the text of the scripture, but it's very clear that, that God has spent all of Abram's life building up to this moment. Because see, this is what God does. He leads us in ways that are easy and safe and comfortable until he's built up enough trust that he asks us to do something terrifying. He takes us by the hand and walks us slowly right up to the edge of the cliff and then says, jump. And then you have to choose whether or not to take the leap, to trust that you can jump and God's going to make it okay. When I was a kid, my dad was so excited for the day when the training wheels came off my bike. Because he's a big cyclist. He likes to, to he wanted, you know, chip off the old blocks. My son's going to ride my, his bike with me. It's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. He was so excited, he bought a brand new bike for me. And um, I was excited, too, because I was a kid. I got a new bike. This is great. Good deal. So we lived on a cul-de-sac, and, and we go outside in front of our driveway, and we point the bike towards the end of the cul-de-sac so I don't ride out into traffic. And I get on the bike, and, and you know, we go, and he's holding onto the bike, and he lets go, and it's going great, and I'm upright, and I'm going fast, and I'm pedaling, and I'm getting close to the end of the cul-de-sac, and I can see the curb coming. And, and that's when I learned for the very first time that that bike did not have handbrakes, right? I'm squeezing it, and there's nothing to squeeze. And it's one of those bikes where you have to pedal in reverse to slow it down, which is just a dumb design. But no one told me that that's how you slow that bike down. You have to grab, the, so I'm trying to slow it down and it doesn't work. 
I hit the curb full speed and the bike stopped, but I didn't. And I went forward and hit the handlebars and flipped over the handlebars and landed on my back. And dad laughed and laughed. <laughs> See, the thing is, everyone who has ever ridden a bike knows that once the training wheels come off, you're going to fall at some point. It may not happen literally the very first time, but you're going to fall off. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to scrape yourself up. Something will happen that's unpleasant. But you always get back on the bike, don't you? As I've had conversations with a lady, with staff people here at the church, the one overriding thing I get from everyone is that there is this incredible sense of excitement in this church. People are excited. You've got a wonderfully handsome new pastor. (laughs) Everyone gets the sense that there is something big on the horizon. That God is about something awesome, right? God's about to take off your training wheels. And that's great. And frankly, I get that sense as well. The thing we often forget as we are led up to that moment is that God doesn't do anything without asking you to take a leap with him. Every church finds it easy to follow God when all he asks you to do is do things that are easy, right? If all he's asking you to do is come to church on Sunday morning, maybe take your pastor out for a nice steak lunch, go to a Bible study in the middle of the week, right? If, all of it, if it's all easy stuff, we've got no problem following God and doing whatever he says, and we're the most faithful people in the world. But the second he asks you to do something that's a little bit scary, we back off. We do that individually, we do that corporately. Every church says they want to reach new people and they want to grow, but what they really want are more people who are exactly like them. They want a clone of the current congregation. Because see, what happens when new people come into the doors of the church is they have new ideas about how to do church and they have new ideas about what we could do and what ministries we could do and how we should do worship. And, and see, the thing that separates a growing church from a dying church is how you respond in that moment. When new people walk through those doors, are you going to let them try things out or are you going to shut them down? Because, see, you can't keep new people around if you keep telling them they're wrong about things. I'm a preacher's kid. I've seen it done. But it's not just about what we do corporately. What's going to happen when God asks you to tell someone about Jesus? What will you do when God asks you to pray for a stranger out loud? Because he does that kind of thing, you know. I have to imagine that Abram was pretty comfortable where he was. We realize from from later parts of Genesis, he's a pretty wealthy guy. He has huge flocks of livestock. He's a big family. He has lots of servants. He's a very rich man living a very comfortable life. And I have to imagine he would have been very happy to just stay right where he was, right? I have to imagine when he hears God say, Abram, go pick up your stuff and just wander around the wilderness for a while, his first response was, I'm okay, really, this is fine. I like where I'm at. I would rather not do that, please. And he could have said no. He could have stayed right where he was, and he would have lived a very comfortable, peaceful life, and he probably would have died an old man, somewhat bitter about the way his life went, with some doubts about just how good God really was. But because he said yes, and he went out into the wilderness, he ended up with two sons, although he was childless when he left. 
He ended up being one of the most important figures in all of human history, the father of the Jewish people. It wasn't an easy trip. And it took him quite a while to reach where he was going. And he makes a lot of mistakes along the way. But he went. So you see, I don't really know exactly what's going to happen over the next few months. But like you all, I get the sense that God has something big in store for this church, that it's going to be good, that we will see wonderful and incredible things happen. But I can guarantee that before that happens, he's going to ask us to take leaps of faith, and it's going to be terrifying in some way. We'll have to do things we did not think we would do, things that maybe we don't think we'll like. Sometimes we'll have to just jump and hope God catches us. See, all the while, God's been leading you right up to the edge. And he takes you there so gently, building up the trust along the way. Until you're confronted with the first time you really have to trust in God and God alone. And because God's kind of a jerk sometimes, he does it over and over again, and each time it's a bigger and bigger jump, right? Maybe the first time you do it, it's just like a little hop over a crack in a sidewalk, but, but before long, it's a bigger and bigger gap. God never lets you stop growing. He will always push you and push you and push you to develop deeper and deeper trust in him. And it's not easy work. But the beauty of it is, you see incredible things along the way. Because it's when you take those leaps of faith that you begin to see miracles happen. That's when you begin to see God working wonders in the world around you. That's when you begin to feel his presence with you day in and day out. It's when you begin to hear his voice whispering in your ear. See, God wouldn't have asked Abram to take such a massive leap of faith if he hadn't been doing that his entire life. Likewise, whatever God has in store for this church, it's the culmination of years, decades, of God leading you down the right paths and of you all putting your trust in God when it mattered most. So, God's got us right there on the edge. Now, I can tell you, if God asks me to jump, I'm going to jump. The only question is, will you jump with me? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.